Welcome to the first ever podcast uh, of Trilogy Writing. This is a new series that we've started called Trilotalk. And we will be having conversations over this series about topics that we think are important to the profession of medical writing. Sometimes these are going to just be conversations between me, I'm Julia Frejanich Klaproth, and my esteemed colleague, Barry Dries. Um, sometimes we will be having guest speakers here with us to talk about things, but our goal is to bring topical issues to the forefront uh, and hopefully spark wider conversations in uh, the domain of medical writing about these issues. So I think just to get started, since this is our inaugural podcast, um, we'll introduce ourselves. I am Julia Frianich Klaproth, as I said before. I'm one of the co-founders of Trilogy Writing. Uh, we have a, a company that's uh, specialized in regulatory medical writing. But it all started actually over 20 years ago. Um, I've been a medical writer since 1997 when I joined um, what was a, one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies of its day, Hoogst, and began working as a medical writer in a clinical development group there. Um, we two of my colleagues from the time, Barry and Douglas Fiebig, and I decided in 2002 to spin ourselves off and set up Trilogy, and we've been working as specialized consultants since then. So that's a little bit about myself. I'll let Barry introduce himself, and then we'll get started. Hi, I'm Barry Dries. I hail from the west coast of North America, as Julia does. She, however, is from Canada. I am from California. <clears throat> however, I've been in Germany since 1986, came over to do my postdoc, and enjoyed Europe so much that I stayed. I had studied in molecular genetics, genetic engineering, which many people think sounds very exciting compared to medical writing. However, I have to say, I find medical writing very exciting, very interesting, and a great way to use your scientific mind. So I'll turn it back over to Julia, who will introduce our topic for today. Great, thanks, Barry. So our first topic is lean medical writing. And I think that um, a great way to start would be first set the stage. What do we think lean medical writing is? Um, and I'll let you get started, Barry. Okay. Um, lean medical writing is a idea very dear to my heart. And I think people, when they hear it, they just, if they even have an idea of what it is, many don't, think or confuse it with what I call thin medical writing. And that means just using fewer words. And although I'm in favor of using fewer words, if you can retain the meaning, I think there are higher levels of lean medical writing. And yes, it's using fewer words, but it's also using the right words and illustrating the point as clearly as possible together with graphs and tables and things like that. And then you can even take it to the higher point, and that is telling the story, knowing what's important and really getting to the heart of that rather than just describing things. So, yeah. for example, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I actually had a conversation just this week with um, a young medical writer who's breaking into the business, and we were talking about lean medical writing. And he basically said something along the lines of, 
well, don't you think lean medical writing is just stripping out the, not the meaning so much, but doesn't it just make it simple if all you're going to do is talk about the data? And I thought that was an interesting perspective because what you said about thin medical writing is exactly the point. Lean medical writing should be the opposite. It should be honing in on the message as in a, in a kind of condensed form. It should strip away redundancies. It should strip away all the bulk of text that isn't actually bringing message and focusing in on why are we actually talking about this data? Let me jump in with two examples that are very dear to my heart. I was working on a document with a client and one of the client team members had put in a paragraph that simply just repeated all the numbers in the table. Yeah. And I said to them, we don't need this. This just repeats the numbers. It doubles your QC time. There's no real benefit from this. Yeah. And they challenged me and they said, but I had always heard, Barry, that you should describe the data in the table. And <laughs> I smiled and I said, describe, yes. Repeat, no. Yeah. Because by doing that, you just double your QC costs. Um, you, you double review times. It's just You a, double the time it takes to write. And for the reader, <laughs> it's boring and just redundant, and there's no gain. I think that happens because we, many of us have academic careers where the thickness of your PhD thesis was considered a good thing, um, whereas I don't really consider that a good thing. Um, but let me give you one more example. I saw a text that was a page full of lab values for patients that were abnormal. But if you read carefully in the first sentence, it said they were abnormal at baseline before they got any drug. And then during the study, they became normal. <laughs> so although there were abnormal values in there, they were getting better. And this was in the safety where you're supposed to be looking at things that are getting worse. So I said, get rid of all of this. This is not relevant to safety. And yeah. in fact, of course, I suspected it was, it was trivial chance variations around the normal range. Yeah. Um, and people were amazed at that. But I said, this is not safety. You do not need this at all. And in yeah. Trilogy, I give people that text and I say, improve it. And many of them come back with little tables and all this kind of stuff. And I laugh and say, actually, all you needed to say was delete. Get rid of it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, it, it, what we need to do is, is take it back to the ultimate purpose of the document. Because at the end of the day, we're writing these documents to send them to some poor reviewer at an agency who has to wade through everything we've written. And um, I know that we both have a couple of interesting quotes from from FDA reviewers about this. You know, they they go in trying to find what it is we think the meaning is of these data. And they're really not interested in all the extraneous data. That's, that's out there, they wanna see what do we think are the important things. They're gonna look at the data themselves anyways, but they want us to tell them what's our opinion about this. And we need to be honing in on what is this information about? You know, if you're talking about demographics, why are we even talking about it? Just describing all of the numbers in the table doesn't actually give message. What we wanna say is, do we think these treatment groups are comparable? And perhaps is the, population in the study reflective of the target population we're going to treat. You know, those are the two messages we should be trying to get out of the data. And just telling me that 35% of the people in this group were Caucasian and 36% of the group in this group was Caucasian doesn't tell me ultimately the so what about those data. 
Many people, when they hear us talk about this, say, well, oh, you're just trying to get rid of everything. And I always have to correct them and say, you know, if this was a message on a cereal box, you might have some argument there. But actually, don't forget, this is part of a big document that has appendices, that has end of text tables and everything. Exactly. You can always send the reviewer, if they want that level of detail, mm-hmm. where they can find it. But they shouldn't be faced with that right up front. You know, right. if I say, Bear, uh, Julia, I have a great message for you, but it's 500 pages and somewhere in there is the message. Yeah. Have fun. Or yeah. do I say, here's the message and here are the places where you can find the things that back it up. And that, I think, is the key to doing this, to not to to remember. And, and especially in the electronic age, you know, you're never more than a click away. So tell people what the story is. Then if they really want to or if they disbelieve it or something, they can go and get more detail on it. Think of it almost like an Internet site where people will say, you know, for additional sources and then think of how often you've actually clicked on those additional sources. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we know that the agencies are going to go and look, do a deeper dive into the data afterwards. It's all there. We're not holding anything back. But one of my favorite quotes that I have from the FDA is, I usually do not see good documents. Um, What we seem to get are pages and pages that are not directly related to the question. It's hard to find the time to go through all of that stuff. And, you know, I think that just sums it up. They're sitting there wading through all this bunk, trying to get to the point, you know, like, where is it? Will someone finally tell me what does all of this mean? What do you think matters about this data? Yes, I have a similar quote, but I like it because it's kind of folksy, Um, you know, similar about we don't get very good document, clinical documentation. And he then wrote, it usually reads something like this. In 1906, there was a goat. Then there was a chicken. Then there was a cow. And after 22 pages of this, you finally find something interesting. And that is a direct quote. And I think it really reveals a lot about how frustrated reviewers are. Recently, I was asked to give a workshop to a client uh, company in Europe about improving their CSR writing. And so I asked them for some samples. And of course, it was the fattest fat medical writing you can imagine. So I came back and I said, for the next six hours, I'm going to talk to you about improving your CSRs. You're going to love some of the suggestions I make and you're going to hate some of them because you didn't learn it that way in school. But I want you to remember this. Even for the things you hate, if you do this, you will save time. You will save money and you will make the reviewers happier. I mean, yeah. this is win, win, win. You yeah. know, with all that time and money you're saving, think of what you could do with that. You could learn a new language. You could <laughs> spend time with your kids. You could do whatever. Or you can stick with whatever your old way is that you learned in school, knowing that it wastes time, money, and that it pisses off the reviewers. Well, and all jokes aside, you know, about saving time to have more time to spend with your cats, whatever. <laughs> Why are we doing this, right? Ultimately, this is about bringing drugs to the market cheaper and faster. And I have seen so many documents where I thought, this is why drugs cost so much, because they're hideously long. Oftentimes, the review cycles are arduous at best because everybody has to wade through all this material and you're humming and hawing about data uh, t- text that doesn't even need to be there. If you had just had a couple of nice, concise sentences focusing on what the question is behind the data that we've collected, then you'd be giving 
the people who you're writing it with and reviewing it with, first of all, nice, succinct information to be reviewing, and ultimately then getting it to the reviewers at the agencies who have nice, succinct uh, text to be reviewing. So it's win-win all the way around, and it's about getting these documents to the agencies faster and helping them review it faster so we can get the drugs out on the market. I totally agree. And, you know, as a, someone in the industry, I get asked all the time by people who are not in the industry, what can we do to get vaccines for the COVID-19 virus right. faster to people? And yeah. I say, well, I don't know what you can do, but I can tell you what I can do as a medical writer. If we <laughs> use lean medical writing, we will increase or, or reduce the time needed to prepare the documents. We reduce the time needed to review the documents. Yeah. You know, everybody's been asking me recently, this will give you an idea of when we recorded this, why did the UK approve a vaccine before Europe? And I said, because Europe has to go through all of these set documents. And normally everybody says, good, good, good. Let's be super safe. But in a crisis, it's a bit cumbersome. And many of those documents are poorly written yeah. and are taking a long time to write and all this kind of thing. So I think one of the things you could really do, and I know, notice how I bring the, the current pandemic crisis into this, but you know that is something we can do to improve it. And I would just add to that, reviewing is often plagued by something called reviewer fatigue. A reviewer yeah. sits down to review a document and it's 400 pages. And after 150 pages, they're like, ah, oh, you know, and they stop looking at things. And that's also what slows down the process because key reviewers who should be saying, this is good, this is good, this is not good, in all this dense forest of text and thinking, no, no, they really need the present participle here or the gerund, the, you know, rather than saying, what's key? Is it safe? Does it work? Yeah. So I think that's another aspect. If you really want great reviewing, which leads to better quality medicines and, and drugs, you need to write leaner and get to the point quicker without all the ex extra flaw. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I think... You know, if we think about where where to take this from here, I mean, for us, the value of lean writing is obvious. I think the next step is to make sure that it's really being applied. And part of it is going to come through teaching and reteaching, reeducating people about the documents. Um, like you said, when people come to us with these hideously redundant, long winded texts, um, we as professional writers need to have the wherewithal to be able to stand up to them and say, look, this is not the ideal way to present your information to the agency. And I think, you know, it's easy to underestimate the seriousness of this problem. A, an anecdote I love to tell is when I started medical writing in 1989, they handed me their documents at the company I started at. It was Hoechst, the German pharmaceutical company. And they said, we know these documents are terrible, but we have processes in place that are going to improve them. It is now 2020. <laughs> and by, with many of my clients, I say, do you have some sample documents? And they give them to me and they say, we know these aren't very good, but we have processes in place to improve them. And lean medical writing is now practiced in a few places, but it really is not the industry standard yet. But it is spreading. It is spreading. I know. And, and it's a peace and goodwill. But these are things that need to be actively worked on and yep. pushed all the time. Yep. And just to give you maybe my parting shot at anecdote here, I was teaching this to a company that expressed, asked, expressly had asked me, come to us and teach us lean medical writing. So I looked at their text and their in-text tables, and they would say, for example, in demographics, known history of cancer, and then there'd be a row for yes and a row for no. And I said, look, 
you can reduce the length of your tables because these tables are three, four pages long by just getting rid of the nose. If you say 20% of the patients in both treatment groups had a known history of cancer, we know they're similar or comparable for that. You don't need to then say, oh, and how about the nose? And yet they fought like mad dogs against me when I tried that. Well, and I even went so far is, as to say, you can always click on the source table if you want to see the nose. Right. <laughs> and, and and one of the, the thoughts behind that that I've often encountered is that people feel as if we're hiding information. If you don't give the no and the yes or the male and the female, because I often do the same thing. Like I say, you know, if you talk about how many males there are in the group, the proportion, well, there is only one other <laughs> one other sex to have, right? So, and 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 in many of those um, binary types of data sets, you, if you give one, it's really sufficient and it condenses what you're bringing in. But people have this sort of bizarre idea that if you don't show both in the in-text tables, that you're hiding something. And that's what we need to get around. We need to make sure that people really understand this isn't about hiding, this is helping a reviewer who has the entire data set behind this whole thing. And it just to, to, you know, I, I think today we might get in a little hot water with the gender thing because I'm told. Okay, now that's true. Other. I probably should have used however, that as an example. <laughs> however, you know, with the yes and no, the problem is if you put all that stuff in, sometimes there's yes, no, unknown, missing, you know, and yeah. no, just the yeses, because the point of these data are to look at the two treatment groups and say, is right. this an issue for interpreting efficacy or safety or not? Right. And the problem is if you have a five page table and you're looking through and then you say, well, you know, this one has more missings than the other one. Yeah. Basically, what you want to say is from what we can tell, the answer to that is no. And I think a exactly. one page table, maybe two if you've measured an awful lot of things at baseline. But by junking it up with all this other stuff, yeah. you and I call that scientific yeah. macho. The point of that is simply to show, look at how much data I generated. Right, right. And I know where that's coming from. I got a PhD where my advisor was scientific macho to the power of 10. But the but, problem is you're <laughs> missing the forest for the trees. By exactly. spending all your time wading around in all these different pieces, you're not actually answering the question behind why did we collect this data? What do we want to know? And that is exactly our point. Once you lean it down, suddenly yeah. you realize the authors weren't saying anything. You know, you, I've seen texts where if you get rid of the fat, the only thing left is the data are in the table below. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. No, exactly. What does that mean? Yeah. What does this tell you? You need, a, you need a healthy dose of pragmatism, you know, looking at it, understanding what you're trying to say about these data and focusing in on that. Yes, and which is why I have become kind of infamous for whenever I get data either for me or for the people I'm working with, I say, before we start looking at the data, what question do these data answer? Yeah, exactly. Because if you don't know that, you can get caught up in unknowns and missings and stuff, and that's not relevant. Yeah. We have a question and we wanna know, you know, are the treatment groups similar? Or similar? <laughs> are, which one's more effective than the other? Mm -hmm. Does one have a safety issue compared to the other? Those are the kind of things you need to focus on and then you can answer yes or no. Exactly. Well, there's just one last thing I think I'll pick up on um, as we come to the end of this session, and that was you mentioned 20 years ago people were talking about the processes that are going to change the way we do writing, and I remember people developing macros and things that were going to pull in the information. Um, I think that makes a nice segue to what our next talk is going to be about. Um, 
which is the role of AI in medical writing. Uh, and I invite everyone to join us for that session because I think that it's going to be um, quite interesting. So thank you for listening to Trilla Talk today. If you enjoyed it, please do come back and listen to us again. We are planning to bring out new editions about once a month. Upcoming topics are going to range from the value of medical writing to apprenticing medical writers. And we'll also cover many document-specific topics, such as lay summaries or how to tame CTD dossiers. You can find our episodes of Trilla Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and TrilogyWriting.com backslash Trilla Talk. We look forward to having you with us again. Take care. Bye.